0: Following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Before we start, I want to have a a scripture reading. And I've asked Franklin at the last minute this morning if he would read this, and he graciously agreed to do it. Thank you, Franklin. Um, So let me just get this up here so you can be heard. that you come right up close to it
1: therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighborhood for we are all members of one body in your anger do not sin do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work Get rid of all the bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you.
0: All right. Thank you very much. Sure. So if you happen to follow along in your read the Red Bibles that we have around the room, you may have noticed that's a a different translation of the original text there, and I did that for a reason, which I will explain to you in a little bit. But first, let me give you some context for what we're doing this morning. We're in uh, the fourth week here at Artisan of our 2015 summer read. Uh, This is now the third year of this tradition, so we've done it three years in a row, which I think means that at this point, if I decided not to do it, I would probably get fired. Um, That's how traditions work in the church (laughs) Once is an event, twice isn't a coincidence. If you do it three times and then never read it again, people are going to get very mad at you. Um, but I think that's okay, because I actually like this tradition of reading a book together, and it's kind of fun uh, to get an overview of what another author, another person, another voice thinks about our faith. And this year's uh, book is Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, which I do have one copy left of. I think somebody asked me to order one and then didn't come and get it. So uh, we only have one more week of the series left, but the book is still good, and it's still summer, and you still go to Artisan, so you could still do the Artisan summer read if you wanted to. Um, We're not going to be legalistic about the dates. Um, So while we're going through this series, the sermons are a little bit different, right? We're getting Bonhoeffer's perspective, and I'm trying to kind of uh, share that with you a little bit and help us think uh, a little bit more deeply about what we've read, those of us who've read it, and help those of us who haven't read it to kind of catch up with the ideas and... We're, we're left somewhat with Bonhoeffer's choices of Scripture. Thankfully, he uses a lot of Scripture in each one of these chapters, and so it hasn't been too hard to find something to to land on as a foundational text. This, this morning, we're using Ephesians 4. We also get his particular theology, which uh, sometimes, uh, frankly, I don't exactly agree with, and I know that not all of you agree with it. Um, there'll be a big disagreement that Bonhoeffer and I have today, um, but... Um, we're cool. It'll be all right. Um, D and I will get straight in the life to come. <laughs> so we have two more Sundays of this, today and, and next week. And then we're, we're actually back to the Gospel of John for two weeks following that. And I, I'm really excited about those messages. So i um, looking forward to that. All right. So today's uh, chapter is chapter four, which is titled Ministry. So I'd like to ask you... Um, <clears throat> When you think about the word ministry in the context of Christian community, what comes to your mind? Take just a minute and let those light bulbs come on. If we're sitting in a church and I say the word ministry, what does that mean? I don't know about you, but my first answer would have been some version of doing stuff, right? Right? Uh, So I am a person who went into the ministry, vocationally, I am in ministry. But, uh, of course, many of you are in ministry in some way or another as well. Um, Thinking just about the ministries within our church community, there's people who are on our greeting team, and there's people who make music, and there's people who brew coffee, thanks be to God, and there's people who uh, work with our social justice team. All kinds of stuff that goes on that we might call ministry or ministry teams. How many of you thought that way too? That ministry is basically doing stuff in the church, right? Uh, if you're a little bit more academically minded, uh, you, might have, you might know that ministry comes from a Latin word that means service. So you might think of ministry more broadly as serving people in one way or another. Um, somebody, I think it probably was Tony, um, brought me my glass of water this morning. That is an act of ministry, an act of service, because uh, he or somebody else knows by now that I always forget to bring it and I sometimes get coughing and I'm all dry-throated and it's terrible. So, that kind of ministry is service. Well, for for Bonhoeffer, uh, he doesn't really conceive of ministry as doing stuff. In this chapter and in this book, Life Together, ministry is more about who we are and what we offer and extend to each other in relationship, who we are and uh, how we relate to each other, what we offer to each other, if you will. So broadly speaking, those are the two ways I want to think about what ministry means in our Life Together, capital L, capital T, the book, who we are and what uh, what we offer to each other in relationship. And so much of those two categories has to do with how we speak to each other or don't speak to each other, doesn't it? It made sense to start with Ephesians 4 as a foundational text for this chapter because so much of what Bonhoeffer says and what what I'm about to say has to do in one way or another with how we speak. And there's a section in that Passage from Ephesians that deals specifically with that. Uh, Ephesians four twenty nine, to be specific. Um, now I had Franklin read the NIV because that's the that's the translation of the Bible that I was most familiar with, uh, and that I have most often heard Ephesians four twenty nine quoted from. How many of you ever heard that uh, that phrase? Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Have you heard the word unwholesome? Right. Um, in the NRSV, which is a, just a different translation of the same Greek text, it happens to be the one that we use more often here, it says, do not let any evil talk come out of your mouth.
1: Right.
0: Bonhoeffer, uh, now Bonhoeffer, remember, would have been reading a German translation of the Greek and now we're reading an English translation of his German, so who knows what happened there. <laughs> but in, in Life Together, the phrase is corrupt communication, All Right? And I actually think, from my limited understanding of the Greek, that Bonhoeffer's words, or at least the English translation of them, is probably closest to the meaning that's intended there. Um, The word there that is translated as unwholesome, or evil, or corrupt, is a word that um, basically means rotten. And every other place in the New Testament where it's used, it's referring to a tree. It's a a rotten tree that bears bad fruit or no fruit. So I would suggest to you that this verse in the Bible, much to my mother's chagrin, is not actually about the sanitization of your language. Right?
1: Yes. Yes. (laughs)
0: I didn't actually expect that particular reaction to be verbalized. (laughs) No, it's totally okay. So this is not about being careful when you stub your toe not to use that particular word, in my opinion. Now, if you want to make a more generalized case from Scripture or from other kind of ethical reasoning that you should be careful not to cuss and swear a lot, we could have that conversation. I'm just saying to you that I don't think that's what this verse in the Bible is about. I actually think it's something much more important and much more difficult to manage, right? Because what it's about is choosing to use words or not use words so that we can build each other up in community rather than tear each other down. It is about choosing to use language that is fruitful and nourishing in each other's lives rather than language that is rotten and corrupt in each other's lives. And honestly, I think the number of letters in the word has so little to do with that, I couldn't even care less about that if I tried. Because there's a whole lot of people uh, within Christendom, and I at times have been one of them, who are so sanctimonious and pious when it comes to swearing, and yet their, their sugary, beautiful, PG or rated G words do more to damage and tear people down than all the four and twelve letter words you could possibly use. What I'm not saying to you is just go swear. That's between you and the people you're with and and probably God. What I am saying to you is don't use your decision not to swear as an excuse to check off the box that you have not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. (laughs) Because it's a much bigger fish to fry than that. Okay? The second thing I would say about this verse... Um, is related to the syntax Uh, you you, uh, let critics know what syntax is right it's the particular arrangement of the words what order they come in and it wasn't until I read these words in um, (laughs) Greek-ish again my my knowledge of Greek is fairly limited but it wasn't until I read them in a, a Greek translation and saw the the way the words were arranged that that the The syntax, which is actually present in English, hit home for me. Let me explain to you what I mean. Perhaps by reading this verse, um, it will help you to understand as well. This is Ephesians 4.29. Now, I'm going to read the Greek words to you, or the English words to you, in the order that they appear in the Greek New Testament, which is a little bit weird. Greek is one of those languages that puts the words just wherever the guy felt like that day, right? (laughs) So here's... I'm going to do it slowly so you can catch it, but here's what it says. Every word rotten from out of your mouth let not go forth let's say that again I'll flip the rotten word thing every rotten word in your mouth from out of your mouth let not go forth do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths did something click for you just now the way it clicked for me it's almost as if the words are already in there right (laughs) right The unwholesome talk, the evil language, the corrupt communication, the rotten fruit that you can spew at somebody to tear them down rather than building them up is already in your mouth. <laughs> your job is not to let it escape. Is that a little bit reassuring or heartening to anybody else? It was to me. It's like, sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm such a terrible person. I wanted to say that. Well, maybe. <laughs> But I can actually say that on some occasions, I'm obedient to Ephesians 4.29 by letting the words exist in my mouth, but not letting them come out of my mouth. (laughs) And if that's the bar that you can actually get over, man, celebrate with me, because that's the bar that I can actually get over. (laughs) Sometimes. All right. So here's what Bonhoeffer says about that in a little bit more specific detail. He says, Nevertheless, isolated thoughts of judgment can be curbed and smothered by never allowing them the right to be uttered. Thus it must be a decisive rule of every Christian fellowship that each individual is prohibited from saying much that occurs to him. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if Bonhoeffer intended that line to be funny, but <laughs> when you read it like that, it is, isn't it? He goes on to, to, to kind of speculate about the nature of people. Uh, God did not make this person as I would have made him. How many times have you said that? <laughs> if it was up to me, that person would have been made differently. He says, I can never know beforehand how God's image should appear in others. Genesis 127, a foundational text of our understanding of the world, of God, of humanity. All human beings are made in the image of God. And we can never know beforehand how God's image is going to appear in others. Another thing that Bonhoeffer says is this, and I wonder if this, if you read it or if when I say it, it'll trigger anything with you. He says, only when the smallest link is securely interlocked is the chain unbreakable. Does that remind you of a common phrase in English? A chain is only as strong as its weakest link? Okay, that may or may not be true, but this isn't what Bonhoeffer is saying. What Bonhoeffer is saying is much more profound. He doesn't say weakest, he says smallest. Only when the smallest link is securely interlocked is the chain unbreakable. So whatever judgment you might want to pass on somebody for being a small link, and that would be a great euphemism, wouldn't it? Now that person's kind of a small link, if you know what I mean. <laughs> if you don't want your small links to tear down your community, what you have to do, is not rem- If you want your chain to be strong, let's say it this way, what you, ha- what you have to do is not prevent weak links or small links from being there. What you have to do is actually secure them and interlock them into community even better. Because the strength of the whole chain, this is why he says we're all members, we're all parts of one another, we're all parts of the same body. Is what Paul says, right? So if there's one that's small and weak, the way that we uh, prevent that from from making the chain fall apart or the body become broken is we make it a a more secure connection to that link. So this is all under the section of uh, the ministry of holding one's tongue. (laughs) How many of you when I said, what do you think of when I say the word ministry, thought, oh, I'm shutting up? (laughs) No. The people who are in ministry are usually ones who can't stop talking. The ministry of holding one's tongue is part of who we are. It's part of the ministry of being a type of person that's good to be around and good to be in community with. The other part of who we are is uh, the ministry of meekness. Uh, Show of hands, now this is a no judgment zone. How many of you have read chapter 4 of Life Together? Show of hands, you can put them up. Um, Yeah, okay. This is okay. It's not a majority, but it's okay. But I need to say something about this chapter Um, particularly where he's talking about the ministry of meekness, um, because I found it really, really disturbing and troubling. And I suspect that some of you might have as well. Um, And I think probably it's a translation issue, a translation to English issue. But if you read it and, and didn't think very deeply about it, you might have been really taken aback. Okay, so there's a couple things that he says here. Um, thinking about the ministry of meekness, one is that um, we should we should be ready to accept insults and injury without protest, taking them from God's punishing and gracious hand. All right, so we don't need to rehash a seven-week series on the atonement, but but we've said a lot about the. God as a, as, a, as a punishing presence in our life, I think you're probably clear on where I stand with that. Um, and if you're here visiting and you don't have the first clue what I'm talking about, um, you can listen on the podcast if you really are curious. But he, that's not so much the problem. We already know that Bonhoeffer and I don't share exactly the same atonement theology for the theology nerds in the room. What he goes on to say is that we have to to learn to keep silent under abuse. Right? Um. That wording is really problematic. Uh, I want to tell you in no uncertain terms, each person in the room and anybody listening online, that if you are suffering abuse, what, what we would truly call abuse, this is why I say it's a translation issue, I think abuse is probably the wrong word to use and maybe in the 50s or whenever this translation was done it was okay, but if you are suffering what we would call abuse nowadays... At the hands of another member of your community, at the hands of someone in your family—a parent, or partner, or spouse—perhaps especially if you're hand, if you're if you're experiencing abuse at the hands of a, a pastor or teacher within your church, or from anyone else. I want to tell you this is not from God. This is not some divine punishing. Grace, right? Whatever Bonhoeffer says. Abuse is not something that God is using to bring something forth in you. Abuse is nothing but evil. It does not come from God. It comes from the Satan. It's not something that you have to bear quietly in order to be considered a good Christian or a good wife or a good child. It's evil. It's from the devil. And if you're experiencing it, you should move to safety as quickly as you can and tell someone in authority. And if they don't listen, you should tell somebody else. And if they don't listen, you should tell someone else until somebody listens and starts to do something about it. Spiritual abuse is real. It happens in all types of churches. It's not a Catholic thing. It's not a fundamentalist Baptist thing. It's not an evangelical thing. It's a human thing. It's an, it's an evil thing. Right. So when Bonhoeffer says, we have to learn to suffer abuse patiently... I don't think what he means, and if he did, I would have a very loud argument with him. And some people might tell me that I was letting unwholesome talk come out of my mouth. (laughs) But I don't think what he means is that whatever is happening to you, you just have to keep silent and bear it. That is a lie. That comes from hell. Can I be clearer about this? Do I need to be clearer about this? Right? Okay. That having been said, is there a sense in which it's important for us to make meekness a part of our identity as Christians? Absolutely there is. Absolutely. It has nothing to do with bearing what we would term abuse nowadays. That's all I mean to say. But when he gets a little bit more specific it, it, and the language kind of starts to be a more explanatory, I'm, I can kind of get back on track with him. So, for example, he says, the desire for one's own honor hinders faith. One who seeks his own honor is no longer seeking God and his neighbor. If that's your definition of meekness, yes, I will sign up for that one. And he also says this. This I think is super profound. He says, if my sinfulness appears to me to be in any way smaller or less detestable in comparison with the sins of others, I am still not recognizing my sinfulness at all. (laughs) What does that say about how we cast judgment on others? What does that say about the fact that we find it very easy sometimes to criticize those um, who sin in one particular way or another. And you can almost identify the, the stream of Christianity that a church is part of or a person is part of by which sins they like to condemn in other people. Right? For the conservative church, they, like to, they're, they're, they seem very preoccupied with other people's sexual behaviors. And in the liberal church, they seem very preoccupied with other people's ability to, to bring forth the fullness of God's justice in their neighborhood overnight. <laughs> and there's lots of space in between. But what Bonhoeffer says is that if you look at your own sins and they still look smaller to you than everybody else's, you're really not looking hard enough. <laughs> All right. So that's the first part of our ministry to each other, um, who we are. The ministry of holding our tongues and the ministry of of meekness. What about what we offer to each other? How we relate to each other? That's the second category uh, of ministry. And Bonhoeffer calls this true brotherly service. We don't have to get hung up on the gender of that. It's service to those who are siblings in faith. I'm going to kind of fly through these. I'll give you less detail here. But uh, the ministry of listening. Bonhoeffer, just as to love God begins with listening to his word, so the beginning of love for the brethren is learning to listen to them. Interesting, that parallel, isn't it? If you love God, you listen to his words through scripture. If you love human beings, you listen to their words. He says our attitude toward our brother only reflects our relationship to God. God. And he who can no longer listen to his brother will soon be no longer listening to God either. He will be doing nothing but prattle in the presence of God too. Right? So if you know somebody who uh, in conversation does nothing but prattle, uh, you can be really uh, high holy horse and think to yourself, that person probably just prattles on in the presence of God too. No, I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> we might have to go to the back, back to the last one about recognizing our own sin first. So the ministry of listening, an important one. It, it, it's an evidence of love extended to others in the community to listen when they speak. The ministry of helpfulness. Here he says, we must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. Right? Now, I, again, I'm not, uh, my theology is not such that I think God has a, a gigantic chessboard with all kinds of different pieces and he moves one over here and moves one over here in your way, and he's going to put somebody in your way. That's essentially what Bonhoeffer says. I don't need to think of it that way kind of philosophically to make this true. But he says, God will constantly be crossing our paths and canceling our plans by sending us people with claims and petitions. Right? So whether God sends them to you or they come to you by chance or by the, an act of free will, it's really irrelevant to the point at hand, which is that you have to be willing to be interrupted. That's basically what he's saying here. The ministry of helpfulness is being willing to be interrupted. Otherwise, he says, you're kind of like the, the priest or the Levite in the parable of the Good Samaritan. The ministry of bearing. Right? This is a word that we don't necessarily use very often. It's very common in Scripture. Galatians 6 talks about bearing one another's burdens. And that's, I've always thought of it that way, that, that we have to to help each other lift our loads and carry them around. And that's true to an extent. I think Bonhoeffer would agree. But what he's really talking about, it seems to me, when he's talking about bearing one another, is not so much helping, being a helping hand or a listening ear, but bearing, meaning putting up with other people's sinfulness. It's <laughs> a lot harder. Like If there's a nice person who asks me to help or listen, and they're going through something really hard, and I can, I can carry that load a little bit by, by being a listening ear, I'm on board with that. But what, if, you're ask, what you're, if what you're asking me to do is to put up with somebody who's a giant sinner, like a sinner hole? I don't want anything to do with that. I don't want to have to put up with that. <laughs> Um, yeah, I didn't write that word in my notes, strangely enough, but I might use it in the future. I like that. Uh, That person's a small link and that person's a sinner hole. I think that's good. This the problem with being unwilling to bear with sinners is that if we're going to imitate Christ, this is entirely his work. This is precisely what he did. God took men upon himself and they weighted him to the ground. What a beautiful image. But God remained with them and they with God. Mm-hmm. All right, let me... Uh, there's a great little passage in here that I want to make sure that we hit. On page 103. We may suffer the sins of our brother. We do not need to judge. This is a mercy for the Christian Now hear this, and see if this triggers you you fellow kind of evangelical wanderers, if you if this makes you think of another phrase, hold the thought and then I want to ask you what it is. For when does sin ever occur in the community that he must not examine and blame himself for his own unfaithfulness in prayer and intercession, his lack of brotherly service or fraternal reproof and encouragement, indeed for his own personal sin and spiritual laxity, by which he has done injury to himself, the fellowship and the brethren. Have you ever heard uh, Tony Campolo talk about the expression, love the sinner but hate the sin? You can find this on YouTube. It's really quite nice. Um, He says we need to get rid of this phrase, love the sinner and hate the sin. By the way, do you know uh, which book in the Bible that comes from? The book of Gandhi. Okay, this is Gandhi, not Jesus, who says love the sinner and hate the sin. A lot of Christians say it what Tony Campolo says is that's not what Jesus teaches at all. What Jesus teaches is that you should love the sinner and hate your own sin. Remember the speck and the plank in our eyes and all that stuff? Bonhoeffer does Campolo one better. He says not only should you hate your own sin, but you should realize that it's your sin in the context of community that causes other people to sin. If there's brothers sinning, and sisters sinning in the community, you should look to yourself because you have made the place a cesspool of sin with your own failings. Wow. So, here's the good news. If you are bearing other people's sin, this is what Bonhoeffer says, he who is bearing others knows that he himself is being born Not born like a baby is born, but born like lifted up and carried. Put up with. If you're putting up with other people's sin, that means they're putting up with your sin. And only in this strength can you go on putting up with their sin. (laughs) Wow. So the ministry of uh, bearing, the ministry of helpfulness, the ministry of listening... Now, he concludes with two other ministries of, and I'm going to go really fast here because, frankly, these are the most advanced ministries. And I don't think most of us are ready for them. They are the ministries of proclaiming and authority. By proclaiming, Bonhoeffer means the free communication of the word from one person to another person. But he's very, very, very clear that this does not happen and cannot happen and will not be successful unless it is preceded by the ministry of listening and helpfulness and bearing. Right? So this is one of those things where it's like, okay, yes, that's what we should do. We should be proclaiming the word to each other, but not until we get through the other ones. And so uh, if we work really hard at those, we may have a lot of years ahead of us making the attempt before we're ready to get to the ministry of proclaiming, let alone the ministry of authority, right? This is why sometimes my job is terrifying. (laughs) I don't usually have the option not to proclaim something on a Sunday morning. And I hope that um, in all seriousness, I hope that my own sin and my own poor attitudes and my own lack of meekness and inability to hold my tongue and my unhelpfulness and my unwillingness to bear with other people, I hope that all of those things Uh, are not too big a wall around the type of proclamation that I try to do for you. Here's maybe my favorite sentence in this whole chapter. Under the Ministry of Proclaiming, he says this. The person whose touchiness and vanity make him spurn a brother's earnest censure cannot speak the truth in humility to others it's a very simple litmus test if you want to know whether you're ready to speak the truth in others just look at how you respond when they speak the truth to you if your response is touchiness and vanity the test strip is blue and you are not ready to proclaim the word to other people if your response is not to be touchy and not to be vain and to take it well, the test strip is, I don't know, white or pink or something. I don't know, how, I don't know from test strips. I always look at red. Thank you. Thank you, Angela. <laughs> Whenever I have a sciency thing that I start to talk about that I didn't plan to talk about, I'm like clueless and I have to look at Angela and she always goes. <laughs> so if your test strip comes up red, you can proclaim the words to others. But if it's blue, uh-uh. Do we all, are we all clear on this? I think it's very clear. It's science. It's science. <laughs> and the ministry of authority is the, the last one. Uh, he says genuine spiritual authority is to be found only where the ministry of hearing, helping, bearing, and proclaiming is carried out. So authority is the pinnacle of the ministry mountain. It is the last one that anybody is ready to exercise. And um, if there is anybody in the room ready to exercise this um, well, it's I don't know who it is, except that it's probably not me. What I would say is this. If you see someone, and this goes back to what I was saying about spiritual abuse. If you see someone exercising authority, now if you're listening on a podcast, I just made the air quotes. If you see someone exercising authority in a way that appears to be impressive, or in a way that's trying to appear impressive, That is, by definition, not actually spiritual authority. Spiritual authority comes out of humility and meekness and listening. It comes out of a Christ-like posture, and it is effected, it is acted out in a way that reflects the the ministry of Jesus himself. So if you see someone um, exercising what they are calling authority in a church setting, and it doesn't look like Jesus they do not have any authority. Pastoral authority can be attained, Bonhoeffer says, only by the servant of Jesus who seeks no power of his own, who himself is a brother or herself is a sister among brothers and sisters submitted to the authority of the word. So everything I just said goes for me too. If you see me exercising authority in a way that looks like I'm trying to be impressive, trying to push my way through something, that is not spiritual authority. If it's not Christ-like, it is not authority. And probably better than half the time, it's, that's it's not going to be, if we're talking about me, for what it's worth, just so you know. And I give you permission to call me on that in a gentle way, and I will try not to respond with uh, touchiness and vanity. <laughs> All right, well, um, we are out of time, uh, but there's so much good stuff in this chapter, I really wanted to hit on a lot of those things. I want to tell you in closing about uh, something that we're going to do for, at least for the summer, okay? Um, We, over the past two weeks, have practiced different things in the morning. Two weeks ago, we practiced the, the morning liturgy in the style of Bonhoeffer from the chapter about the day with others. We did it on Tuesday and Thursday. Many of you were there. It was a very positive experience. And then last week, I asked you to practice the Liturgy of Solitude on your own on Tuesday and Thursday at the same time, 7 a.m. So uh, what I would like to do together as part of a broader discipleship plan that the leadership team and staff are working on that I'll tell you more about another time is to uh, practice both of these types, both of these liturgies every week. At least through the summer. We'll reevaluate at the end of the summer. But here's what's going to happen. On Wednesdays at 7 a.m., I will be right here in this room. And um, our rain guests will be just kind of leaving at 7. So if you come in on on Wednesday at 7, uh, just make sure that you're considerate and courteous of them as as they're going on to their day. And you can come right to this place at 7. Um, I think it's 7. Am I right about that, Vera? Yeah? Okay. So... We'll be here at 7 a.m., and we'll do the the little liturgy that we did two weeks ago, and we're going to do that every week for the summer. And then on Friday at 7 a.m., I'm going to invite everybody in the community who's able to to do the the Liturgy of Solitude, right? And uh, remember, this is the the way it breaks down. Five minutes of silence, you meditate on Scripture. This time I'm giving you Matthew 7.13, so write that down. I will try to put it on the website again and on Facebook and Twitter like I did last week. The third step is that you pray out of your scriptural meditation, and then the fourth step is that you do an intercessory prayer, praying for others in the community, okay? That's, uh, I would like to ask you to do Friday at 7 a.m., and if you can't do it right at that time, you can do it whenever you want, but I think it's kind of neat if we can all do it at the same hour, right? Fair enough? <coughs> okay. Um, Anna and the band, you guys can begin to make your way up here. I've cut into your time for the the closing songs and for communion. I apologize for that. So go ahead and make yourselves ready. And uh, I will uh, introduce the communion and um, we can close our service with a couple of songs. um, Okay. With apologies for the kind of abrupt transition, I want to invite you now to receive the sacrament of Holy Communion. Um, At Artisan, we have an open table, which means that Uh, All who are seeking to follow Jesus, trusting him as Savior, are welcome to participate. And uh, you can come to the table and tear off a piece of the bread and dip it in one of the cups. We have two stations. Each station has wine and juice. I would encourage you to choose the one that's more appropriate for you and for your family. Uh, And you can dip the bread in the cup and take it all at once and receive in your bodies the body of Christ do this as an act of spiritual community communion with each other as an act of solidarity with Christians all around the world, all throughout time who have taken this same sacrament together and I pray that for you it would be the body and blood of our Savior Jesus Christ that it would be food for your souls if you'd like to receive prayer you can uh, come and a member of the prayer team will be here under the cross to pray with you as well I invite you to respond, however, the spirit's leading you this morning. Amen.
1: For more information,
0: visit us at artisanchurch.com.